Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Great blessing. Great truth. All right, let's grab our Bibles. Let's turn to James chapter number 4, if you will, with me. James chapter number 4. And we'll pick up verse 11 and 12 as we began last week. And we'll conclude the thought that James puts before us, or a group of thoughts. And James chapter 4, as we consider practical Christianity revealed. And uh, James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, we kind of really just... I began to deal with the first statement there where it says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. And uh, really, we dealt with that primarily. And uh, just for sake of bringing some people up to speed, we obviously had a lot out sick last week and everything else. But for a point of reference, and we talked about how James had uh, brought this reality of these manifestations. He's really dealing with in chapter 4 here, manifestations of worldliness that had creeped into the church. And uh, that would be strife and fighting and quarreling. Now he's speaking of uh, evil speakings mixed with unjust, uncharitable judgment. And we made this observation when these actions and behaviors and their underlying attitudes, and that's a key for what James is talking about in these two verses, uh, attitude is huge uh, behind everything we do as Christians. And so these underlying attitudes are present in the church. You can mark it down that the spirit and thinking of the church or the world, excuse me, has infiltrated the local church. And when that happens, the door swings wide open for the devil in the flesh to get a foothold and it manifests itself in different ways. One of these was this. James warns of the offense committed against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We talked about what this speaking evil against, that in English is actually two Greek words, speaking evil against. It's translated from two Greek words. And we talked about what it literally means. It means this, to backbite, to speak against someone, to tear someone to pieces. It's negative speech, derogatory speech, critical comments, gossip. It's critical, hurtful, um, attacking spirit with the aim to destroy one's reputation and influence on others. And then we made the simple statement, selfishness is at the root of depreciating someone else, depreciation of someone else. Then we talked about what does that word slander mean, and boy, Webster gave us a great definition. It's a, a false tale report, uh, maybe a true report, but it's maliciously uttered, intending to injure the reputation of another by lessening him in the esteem of his fellow citizens or fellow believers, fellow members, by exposing him to impeachment and punishment or by impairing his means of living. And we talked about these two words. The first word uh, provided the negative thrust of the phrase. And it literally meant this, the negative exercise of the will and thought against another person. And we saw what, what Christ said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And uh, there and the rest in Matthew chapter 12. James brought the bear then as we saw the, the second part of that for, um, excuse me, that was the verse. He said this, speaking audibly with an evil account. So putting that evil thought and will together, now speaking verbally and audibly uh, this account against someone else. If we do not confess them, they will not be able to be, we will not be able to contain that evil thought. So if we don't give it to the Lord and confess it and bring every thought into captivity, those things will eventually come out in speaking evil of someone else, depreciating them, tearing them down, corrupting their esteem in someone else's eyes. Then we saw, obviously, we looked at a couple examples there from Genesis. And then uh, we challenged ourselves, what are we to be? We are to be a supporting, loving, um, protecting one another here in the local church. Slander is to come from the outside of the church, not from within the family of God. Not within the body of believers, the assembly. Uh, Paul issued that warning in Galatians 5.15. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not be consumed one of another. 
We might say that this, now this bears, we said this last week, and really, as we now segue into tonight's message, we might say, in fact, we should say, that a person, a brother, a a sister in Christ, a believer that slanders or criticizes uh, a believer in this way violates the law of brotherhood, as Christ espoused even in the Scriptures. We've already been instructed in this simple truth, that you do not stop speaking evil against a brother by keeping your mouth shut. You do it by keeping your thoughts of others right and holy. We finished last week looking at 1 Corinthians 13, charity thinketh no evil. So if we boil it down to this simple truth, to think no evil, or excuse me, to speak no evil, you don't think any evil. Charity, love doesn't think evil. And if we don't think evil, if we're, if we're putting love in practice from the beginning all the way through, then we will not only not think evil, but we will not speak evil. Now, what's interesting is here in this passage now, as we look to the rest of verse 11, James unpacks this sin that has crept into the local church, the assembly, by noting, noted, he exposes the extent of the audacity of such an action. So when we might speak evil of a fellow believer, uh, whoever they may be, a sister or brother in Christ, we may on the surface think we're just being unkind to them and we can kind of explain that away and we can maybe kind of dismiss that but here james is putting the spotlight not just on our fellow believer that's being spoken about in an evil way but he moves the focus to collateral damage what offense are we causing besides not only the person i'm speaking evil against but what else am i affecting what else am i influencing what other damage am i causing certainly to the cause of christ but what other things am i doing now notice it He begins to show that when people embark on speaking evil of one another, it flows into the means or flows by the means of judgmental speech. Critical, negative, condemning speech about another person. Look at verse 11. Let's pick up where where we left off. We We read the first part, speak not evil one of another, brethren. Notice this. He that speaketh evil of his brother. Okay, so he's going to explain a little bit. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but notice it, but a judge. But a judge. So what is it that that James is alluding to here? Well, we see it makes it very clear. He, He says when we do just that, when we enter into evil speaking, when we enter into judgmental speech, we... Have a spirit of pride, self-righteousness, and we place ourselves over others. And as James says, we become the judge. Uh, for Move over, Judge Judy. Uh, now we put ourselves on that throne. And we become the person who rules over them. When we commit this type of sin, we're not only offending another person, but what James was saying, we're causing an offense against the law of God. How often have we heard someone who has committed an act that uh, had grievous consequences, especially unforeseen consequences? They said, uh, they exclaimed something to the effect, well, I I didn't think that would happen. I I didn't mean for it to go that far. I I didn't mean to do that. And yet all the time, all they're doing is reaping the consequences of the choice they made. You take someone who chooses to drink. 
And then in that series of decisions, they decide to get in a car, and before they know it, they have called a wreck, caused a wreck in which someone has died. Now, you talk to that drunk, and you talk to that person who's been drinking, and they'll say, hey, all I did was take in a drink. I didn't intend to kill anybody. Uh, maybe a young child and uh, fight with a sibling or something, and they get angry, and they go to take back a toy, and doing so, boy, they, they hurt their brother or sister. Brother or sister comes crying to mom or dad, and the other one carrying the toy follows, and, well, I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> well, you may not have meant to do it, but can I tell you, there are often unforeseen consequences to the sin you choose. And that's what James is saying here. Listen, you may think you're only speaking evil of a fellow believer. You may think that you're only being judgmental of that person and it only affects them. James is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you're wrong. What you are doing is causing offense against the law of God. I don't know about you, but that certainly raises it, raises the stakes. Brings it to a whole different level that we don't typically take into account. It's true of most sins. We may understand the error and the consequences on the surface, but we fail to see the great iceberg of irrevocable damage that rests just below the surface. And so here in this passage, James could have stopped and just said, hey, don't speak evil of one another, brother. But he doesn't. He then explains, now when you speak evil of someone else, you're judging that person. And you're not just speaking evil and judging them, but you're judging the law of God. And so we want to look tonight at exactly what he means by that. Number two. So first, number one, we saw James warns of the offense committed against brothers and sisters. Number two, James warns of the offense uh, committed against the law of God. In James chapter 2, verse 8, we've studied this. Remember, he refers to what he calls, note it, the royal law. What's the royal law? Well, we understand it. Love our neighbor as thyself. Here's Paul. Notice what Paul said in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. He said this, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another, notice it, hath fulfilled the, what's the next word? Law. So just what James is talking about, even here in verse 11 and 12, he himself talked about in James 2 eight. Christ talked about, Paul spoke about in Romans. Now, may I interject this? We think of Paul, and, and what, a, what a statement coming from Paul. He says, oh, no man, anything but to love one another. We understood, we just came through studying the life of Paul, the conversion of Paul. But can I tell you, his life didn't just change, but his theology and his doctrine changed. His interaction with people changed. Instead of hate, now he's spewing love. Love for God and love for his fellow man. What what would have the old Paul have done to a Jew who rejected Christianity? The old the old Saul, I mean the old Paul would have hated them. Would have screamed and yelled at them, would have wanted to put them to death. A Jew who rejected Christ. But oh my friend, what a what a change that God has wrought. The new Paul has come to understand the love that is found in the law. Now listen, here's what James is saying. Hey, we've moved away from the law. When we start speaking evil one of another, and we start judging one another, not based, as we'll see, on the Scriptures, but based on our own opinions and conjecture and thoughts, and what we presuppose are motives in their hearts, what we have done in that instance, we've moved away from love, And we have enacted, really, what we would call selfish judgment. And I'll tell you, it's very simple. When selfishness rules us, 
the law no longer does. When selfishness rules us, the law no longer does. This royal law, the law that God has certainly taught us of. In fact, how does James put it? He says this, we cease to be a doer of the law. We place ourselves at the head of the courtroom. We make ourselves the judge, he says. He says that evil speaking goes hand in hand with judging our brother. It's a type of judgment that is corrupted because of the spirit and attitude behind the judging. There's no love present. There's only condemnation and critiquing. Note that these types of judgment that James is alluding to includes judgment that a believer has no right to make. It's unkind, it's unloving attitude that degrades another through opinions, drawn conclusions, conjecture, and perceived motives. All that hurt and harm a fellow believer in a malicious manner. So James is talking about our attitude behind the judgment that we are enacting and and doing. We'll illustrate it here in just a moment, but we want to explain exactly what James is teaching us. So therefore, if we judge others, then we have essentially judged the law. Now listen to this. We have judged the law to be of no effect on us. We have in essence said that I am above the law. I don't need to keep the law. It doesn't have any appropriation for me. And yet we as Christians understand that God has given His Word. He's given His law to govern all of our interactions with one another. You and I are called to submit to the law of God, heeding its instructions for our interactions with one another. Notice it. You say, well, what does the the word of God say? Because God's word is precious in that it applies and addresses every part of the Christian life. And so it does for our interactions. Where do we start with our interactions one with another? As we're teaching our children how to interact, as we as adults strive to interact in a biblical, scriptural way one with another, where can we say that it starts? What, are, what does the law say? Well, that royal law certainly starts with loving one another. But you know what it also, it also says? Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Sp- excuse me. <coughs> speak the truth in love. Speak it in love. Now, truth is important. We will die on that hill. We'll fight for truth. But you know what God says? Speak it in love. You know what happens when you leave the love part out of it? It actually disintegrates some of the power of the truth. It it, it closes the door. It it prevents someone from hearing and understanding the truth. So God, through Paul, says, speak the truth in love. Truth must be maintained, but it's to be spoken in love. And when it is not, its power is minimized. Then we are instructed in 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent, I like that, fervent charity. Hey, do you have fervent charity of one for another? The effectual, we often think of it in terms of this, the effectual fervent prayer. Hey, in your fervency of prayer, do you have fervency and charity love one to another? (laughs) And above all things, have fervent charity love among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know what? There are going to be things that happen in a local church. There's going to be things that happen between believers in which we make mistakes. We fail. But there are times when, when our love, when we are clothed with that love and we exercise it, it covers it and it covers it right up. It spares someone the pain and the shame 
in the herd. So don't miss it tonight. Here is what James was saying. Hey, don't speak evil one another because when you do, we begin to judge and we judge in such a way that goes contrary to the very law of God. It is not bathed in love. It is not following the precepts laid out in Scripture for how we're supposed to interact with one another as fellow believers. It does not have that mentality. In fact, he gives us a whole different picture because sometimes uh, there are instances where someone sins, someone does wrong. In Matthew, certainly chapter 18, we have uh, a clear understanding of how we handle that. Galatians chapter 6, we are told exactly how to handle that. In fact, turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at these first two verses, if you will, with me. Galatians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. It is an altogether spirit and attitude here in this judgment that Paul speaks of that is found in James 11 and verse 12 when he speaks of speaking evil of one another. Notice it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2. Notice the statement. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens. And so, now notice this, and so fulfill what? The law of Christ. Now, don't miss it. Here in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, listen, when you start speaking evil one another and you exercise this judgment that is not based on love, but is based on our own selfish, fleshly thinking, it is at the antithesis of Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where it is obvious we are called to judge. Brethren, if one of you be overtaken in a fault, we've got to know, we've got to be able to judge those things. But boy, there's a whole different spirit and attitude that's found here. Notice it, uh, what we would describe, um, uh, what kind of judgment this is. It is a judgment that involves and committed in a spirit of love. Uh, It's a spirit of meekness. He said a spirit of humility. All with the intention of restoring and ministering to the fallen brother or sister. Now let me illustrate something. Because this is really what sums it up well, all right? Um, I need a couple helpers, all right? Who, who am I going to pick on, okay? Carson, go ahead, come on up. David, you want to help me? Okay, come on up, bud. Come on up here, both of you, okay? Carson, go stand over there, okay? All right, let's say David and Carson are brothers, okay? Same family, Okay? Carson is downstairs, and he has gotten into something he ought not to. That never happened. Okay, anyway. Uh, he's gotten into something he hasn't. Let's just say, just for sake of argument, mom and dad has said, hey, you know, you, you can't get out the paints unless we're around, and, and you ask first and everything else, okay? So Carson's downstairs. He's painting, and, and as sometimes happens, you know, all over him and everything else, and he's messing up. Big brother David, he comes down, okay? And he sees this happening, all right? Now, what happens? Some of the, our young people here knows what happens. In that instance, David's like, uh-oh, David can react in one of two ways. <laughs> David's like, uh-oh, oh, Carson, you're in trouble. I'm going to go tell mom, and you're going to get it. Now, you tell me, what kind of attitude is that? <laughs> that's not a love. That's not a restoration and reconciliation. That, that's not there. Now, David can also come down, and David can say, hey, Carson, Carson, Carson. And you know mom and dad's rule. 
We're not supposed to get out the paint. You're not supposed to do that. Here, let me help you clean it up, and then we'll go outside, and we'll, we'll go out and play together. Let's get this all clean. You know you're not supposed to do that. Let's go outside, and we'll take care of it. Now, that's two different attitudes. Now, selfishly, in our flesh, what do we want to come down and do? <laughs> you're dead meat. What are you going to pay me? Next Christmas present, you share, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's flesh. That's what we want to do. We want to come here and say, boy, you're in it, man. You're in the bullseye. You're going to get it. No, 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 no. I'm taking a picture with my phone. I'm going to show mom the evidence. And I'm going to, I mean, that's our flesh. Now, listen to me. That is exactly why James writes in James chapter 4, don't speak evil, in other words. Don't judge in this way because our judgment is not rooted in, I'm going to get you in trouble with God. Woohoo. I, I, boy, I'm just going to point out everything wrong in your life, fellow Christian. I'm going to, when you trip and fall, I'm just going to point it out and I'm just going to let everybody know about it. And boy, whoo, I'm going to make you look bad. That certainly isn't the spirit of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, is it? You know what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2 says? Hey, Carson, man, you shouldn't do that. You know the law. You know mom and dad's rules. Now, listen to me. Listen to me carefully, Christian. If we, and obviously they have Christian, don't look like you've been caught with your hand in the cookie jar. So, okay. Um, if we know as Christian parents, what is our heart's desire? Hey, children, okay, listen, let me let you know on a thing. It is not our desire to go around and find you every time you mess up just so we can punish you. That's not a parent's heart. We don't look around like, yes, we caught him. I can't wait to punish him. No, that's not what our heart is. And there, if David understands mom and dad's heart, it isn't to get Carson in trouble. What's mom and dad's heart? Is that Carson would do right. Now, can I tell you as a Christian, your heavenly father's heart is not for you to point out and judge everything another Christian does wrong. Brethren, if one be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, help him do right. That's understanding your heavenly Father's heart and attitude. That is the law, the royal law. It isn't, boy, we're going to bust you. I knew there's something always wrong with you. We finally caught it. <laughs> I'm going to put it all over Facebook. That's not God's heart. I'll tell you, hey, hey, young people, I'll tell you, this is a great truth in your own home. You ought not to be out to get your siblings in trouble all the time. You ought to be about helping your siblings do right. Hey, Christian, you not, ought not be about always finding the problems with your siblings. You ought to be about helping your siblings do right. Fellow believers in Christ. Thank you, gentlemen. You did a great job. Carson, stay away from the paints, okay? <laughs> so, what determines that difference, though? I'll tell you what determines is, it, is attitude. Hey, attitude is everything. If I share my parents' attitude, if I share my Heavenly Father's attitude, then love is going to be present. I'm going to have a brotherly concern for the welfare of my siblings. I understand the heart of my father correctly. Man, God wants you and I to do right. 
He's given us one another to help us achieve that. You know, the, the Bible does not say, the Bible does not say, brethren, go around and find each other's faults and trumpet them. No. You know, the Bible says, provoke one another unto good works. Stir up one another after righteousness. Do the things and move the, your your fellow believers to do right. Hey, sometimes we get this picture of God in a human economy or a human government. Can I tell you something? Listen carefully. Our God in His kingdom is a theocracy. God is in charge. Now listen, we look at America, and it gets frustrating when somebody makes a a law or something, and they go over to this courtroom, and it's interpreted one way, and it goes over to this courtroom, and it gets interpreted a different way. And And then it goes to the Supreme Court, and what do we have? Seven different opinions or more, right? Or three and four, four and three, three, one and three. Can I, listen, when it comes to spiritual things in God's kingdom, there's no supreme court, there's just one supreme judge. And there is no many, there's not many interpretations of the law. My friend, there is but one law and one interpretation. And it belongs to God. That is the royal law. This is you and I, when we judge others without love and without the proper attitude of love, then my friend, we are judging and are an offense to the very law of God. We've offended it. In fact, it goes much deeper in a sense. We understand, and don't mistake it, this is not to say He has not given us the commandment. Hey, he has given us the commandment to judge. We have that biblical responsibility. But notice, and I think this is so good, don't miss it. But like judges here on earth have their own jurisdictions, so we too must stick to our own jurisdictions. Nowhere in the Bible am I told to judge your motives. Nowhere. But you know what I am told to judge? Doctrine. Fruit. I'm not told to come and say, well, you know, I'm sure they meant this when they did this, and and, and I'm sure... No, I'm not told to, to judge... That, we are told to judge according to the law. Now, that's a huge difference. Christian, don't miss it tonight. Turn with me, Philippians. We're in Galatians. Turn with me, Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. We'll look down at verse number 9. This is a crucial study tonight on Christian judging. What judgment we're supposed to participate in and use, exercise. Verse number 9, he says this, and this I pray that your love, notice this, your love, your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in all, what's the word? Judgment. That's interesting that he says, I want your love to abound more and more in judgment. Then he says this, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. 
I love it because what does he say? He says, judgment ought to be exercised in the spirit of love, not condemnation. So my jurisdiction for judgment is not to condemn. My jurisdiction is to prove what is excellent. And then when it comes to fellow believers, hey, help them that are overtaken in a fault to restore and reconcile them. In a spirit of meekness. In a spirit of humility. Now listen, that goes contrary to the flesh. And I'll tell you, listen, every fleshly member of a local church will not know how to judge appropriately unless they are spirit-filled. Because this is the only way that you and I can enact this kind of judgment is that in every day, in every moment, if we are going to judge, we, we better be spirit-led and spirit-filled. And we better do it according to the law of God. I just don't like how they did that. I don't like how, boy, they're just, yeah, they're just ignoring me. Wait a minute. Is that according to the law of God? How you're judging your fellow believer. Is that according to the scripture, the law of God? Because that's our jurisdiction. The doctrines are clear in the scripture. So that is the means by which we ought to judge. And what's funny Matthew chapter 7, the first five verses, you know, the one that is often <laughs> quoted, judge not lest you be judged. And that's merely saying you're going to be judged with the same judgment you meet out. But in the first five verses of Matthew chapter 7, it tells us to start judging ourselves in this way. We're to evaluate. We are to approve what is correct in our own lives first. And then we're to evaluate behavior, doctrines, and practice based upon Scripture's standard of holiness, His law, and the unquestionable evidence or fruit in someone's life. When that's applied, now listen, don't miss this. Why do we have Christians offending other Christians? Why do we have Christians being offended by someone else? It is probably in part because we have Christians who come and judge another person based on not the law, but based upon their perceived motives and everything else. Now get this, don't miss this. When David comes to Carson and he says, Carson, you know we're not supposed to be doing, playing with paints without permission. We aren't supposed to get that out. What is he using as his basis of judgment? It's not, well, in my opinion. Hey, Carson, I can see in your heart and I can see your motives are wrong. No, what David is using, he's using the law of mom and dad. And so it is not David that is judging Carson. Who is it that's doing the judging? God's word. Now I'll tell you, my friend, God doesn't need your, your help to judge. His word can handle it. Now, we understand we're supposed to see doctrine of things. But I'll tell you, my friend, I it's not we that condemn, it's God's word that condemns. If, if as sometimes happening with siblings. Mom and dad, have you ever had a, a, a child come and tell you what your other child was thinking when they did something? They meant to do that. Oh, really? Were you inside their head? Can you read minds now? He did it on purpose. How do you know that? See, you know what happens in that moment? We have gone from judgment on law. It is non-negotiable. It is clear. It's not my judgment to something that then becomes my judgment. 
based on my perceptions, based on what I think. And I'll tell you, when we start doing that, we get in a whole bunch of mess. So we've got to know our jurisdiction. See, we are too good as humans judging about motives, judging about intent, judging about on based on conclusions that we jump to. And God never called us to do that. It's not the judgment we're supposed to practice. Because when I do that, when I speak evil of a fellow believer, when I judge him or her based upon my opinions, my perceptions of their motives or my thoughts, then notice it. And here's the huge offense. I have substituted myself for the law of God. I am offending the very law of God because I have taken its place. And I don't know about you, but there's no way that I can take the place of the law of God. It's a judge that is much better and greater than I am. Yet in that moment, I am standing in judgment of the law. Not only am I taking its place, but I'm judging the very law. I'm saying it's not good enough. It's not sufficient. And it doesn't apply to me. I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful. Now listen, don't mistake this. I sure am thankful that God has given us His Word to monitor and judge and inform our lives. That I can look to His law and it it corrects me. It is the tool of discernment. And so our discernment, our judgment, is not based upon the unchanging, or excuse me, not based upon the changing opinions of ourselves, but on the unchanging love-based truth of God's Word. And when we fail to do that, then we do find ourselves in a great mess, offending not only fellow believers, but offending the very law of God. Notice it. These are James' very logical conclusions that he confronts us with. You set yourself up as the judge of other men in areas in which you ought not to judge. It is not your jurisdiction as a believer. You judge them with thoughts and words that are rooted in your own selfishness and own jealousy and own criticalness and own fleshly considerations and your lust for condemnation. Then you are showing your practical disregard for the law of God. You're saying it's, it's not important. Yeah, God says that, but I'm a better judge than God's word is. If we'll look at a fellow believer and we'll, we'll speak evil of them and we'll judge their actions and their motives, then we're saying we are a better judge than the Word of God. And can I tell you, there's not much that's greater heresy than that. That's blasphemy. Because God's Word and law is given to us to do just that. Again, we have not condemned just a fellow believer. We've condemned the very law of God. We have declared ourselves to be superior (laughs) to the law of God. Not to be subject to it and not to be bound by it. Remember, he said at the end of verse 11, we are no longer a doer of the law. We are a judge. We have supplanted its rightful place. Now get this. I like how he ties it together in verse 12. Because he says, not only have you offended the law of God, uh-oh, but there's someone, capital S, someone else that you have offended with your evil speaking and condemning judgment of your fellow believer, your brother and sister. He says this, James warns against the offense committed against the one and only lawgiver. Look at verse 2, or verse 12, excuse me. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who art thou that judgest another? Great statement. Hey, in Isaiah chapter 14, we, we studied a long time ago. We won't t- turn there for sake of time. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. You remember what was found there? There was five I wills. You remember who the I wills were from? Lucifer, Satan. And it was all about him usurping the authority of God, literally replacing God on the throne of all the universe, of all the creation. And we read in there uh, his attempt to dethrone God. Can I tell you from what that Isaiah 14 records all the way through human history, it's nothing but a carnage of selfish and self-focused man following the despicable example of Satan trying to kick God off of the sovereign throne of all creation. And it involves you and I trying to kick him off the bench of judgment. Establishing ourselves as the judge instead of him. We as Christians, we follow suit. We still wrestle in our own minds and hearts with the temptation to remove the lawgiver and one true judge from the bench of judgment in our day-to-day living. Okay, We've used silly illustrations before, but there's many that we could use. But the fact is this, in any interaction, I can all of a sudden put myself in judgment of someone else. First, this is great, okay? It is funny, isn't it? That how sometimes we in Baptist churches, we get our own parking lot, we get our own pew, we know where we sit, we know where we park. And you better not park there and you better not sit there. Isn't that true? I mean, we do, we find our own seat. Oh, I don't want to sit in my pew. Don't sit there. And so what happens? We walk in on a Sunday morning, everything's great, the, the birds are chirping. You had coffee, bacon, and eggs, or Dr. Pepper in the morning for breakfast. You walk into church. Hey, it's not bad. No, I try. Okay. You walk in. Everything's great. I mean, you have, and all of a sudden, you walk through the back doors, and you spot your pew. You're about to put your Bible down. And, oh, there's someone sitting there. And there he is, Ron Ruby, sitting in your seat. He flashes his nice smile. The light's reflecting off his head. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's cold, isn't it? Yeah, he'll, he'll pay me back, don't worry. Um, there he is, he's smiling at you, okay? And as he smiles at you, it's like, uh, you're like, and going through our minds selfishly, all of a sudden we start to judge, don't we? What's he trying to do? Is he trying to make a point? I can smile at him. He just, I'll just, you know what? I'll sit in front of him and block his view. That'll show him. You know, we'll start to judge. We do this immediately, isn't it? I mean, that's the judgment that comes in our head. This says, why is he in my seat? That's my seat. Doesn't he know that's my seat? I've come here for 20-something years. Everybody knows it's my seat. Everybody knows that's my parking spot. Now, think, it seems so childish. Can I tell you, there's nothing in the Bible that says, this pew shall be forever after this, your pew. It's not there. But you know what happens? We start getting in this mindset where we'll use even little things like that to be judgment. And yet, the royal law, how should we act in love? Hey, Brother Ron, it's good to see you, man. Hope you enjoy my pew. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, hey, it's good to see you at church. Glad you made it out. And not think another thing about it. You know what the royal law would say? Honestly, man, I'm so glad you are at church. Hey, you can sit there anytime you want. It's not mine. Honestly, hey, it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around this. Listen, that pew isn't yours, it's the Lord's. 
and anybody can sit there. But that's the judgment of God's word, isn't it? I mean, that, that's when we come and we take God's word and we say, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not going to give in to this fleshly judgment and speaking evil. And <laughs> you can imagine, we might find another pew. Hey, can you believe Ron Ruby sat in my seat? I can't believe he'd do that. Here I thought he was a nice guy. I, I, I mean, the stupid comments and the judgment that we do based upon what? Certainly not the law of God. Because if we were basing our judgments on the law of God, we wouldn't allow that thought. If it does pop in our mind, we would never entertain it. We'd never give it the time of day. And yet we do on the, the dumbest things, the silliest things. Can I tell you, there's a a clear and solid theme throughout the whole Bible. Now listen to me carefully. We joke about that. We, we joke about Ron Ruby sitting in your seat. But I'll tell you, if you are malicious towards Ron Ruby or any other believer for taking your seat, can I tell you something? Your offense is not just against Ron Ruby. It is against the great lawgiver. Now, Pastor Henry, you're just taking that a little too far. Yeah, it's just Ron. Oh, my friend, Ron is a child of God. Ron is a human being, and God told you and I to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in this passage, in James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he tells you and I, be careful, don't put yourself as judge, because the moment you do, you have just usurped the authority of the great lawgiver. You have offended him. You have violated his law. You have said that that law is rubbish. It is dumb. And sometimes you and I do that here in the world, in the earthly level, don't we? You ever, you ever dismiss your speeding down a road because you think the speed limit is too low? Psh, how could they do that in Fostoria? 35. It's not even a stoplight. It should be 45. And so now in your own judgment, you have decided that law is of no effect to you. It's a dumb law. It's no different when you and I treat fellow believers with our own reasoning and judgment. You say, what does James conclude? And I think this is a great conclusion that he comes to and we're done. In this simple verse, he says, your sin is against God is all sin ultimately is. We, we understand that. That's a great theme throughout scriptures. That we are transgressors against God and His law. And so James in this verse, he restores God. Now listen to this. He restores God to His rightful place, declaring Him, <coughs> excuse me, him to be the sovereign ruler and judge of the universe. Now notice this. With power that none other possesses. You know who I want to be judge? Someone who has great power. And that's God. But not only power, can I tell you this? Our God is the only God that possesses, He's the only judge that possesses omniscience. So He knows the hearts. We said this a moment ago. We don't. And so He is the great judge because He is omniscient. Now notice it. Notice what I wrote. He knows every fact and truth. His knowledge is perfect. He sees the unseen. He has heard the unspoken. And oh, my friend, he knows the unshared thought. Now, that's the kind of judge I want to have, amen? That's a perfect judge. He, he, he knows it all. He is omniscient. Now, let me ask you this, and I'm done. Do you 
match up to that judge? Are you all powerful? Are you omniscient? Do you know every person's heart and their thoughts? Do you see the unseen? No? Then what business do you have standing in judgment of your fellow believer? That is exactly what James writes. That isn't just Pastor Henry. He says this. Did you catch it? The end of verse 12. Who are thou that judgest another? Well, well, I, 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 I'm sure I know what they meant. Really? I, 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 I know what they were trying to do. Really? Because last time I, took, uh, I checked, there was only one omniscient judge. And his name is Jehovah. The God of all creation. My God and your God. Notice it. James chapter 5 verse 9. Notice what he says. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Hey, the judge is near. The judge is watching. He'll take care of it. We would put it this way, and I'm done. You and I lack the power to save and to destroy. That's what verse 12 said, that he has. You and I lack the power to save and to destroy. We lack the omniscience to make perfect and accurate judgments apart from the truth of God's Word. So listen, when it goes out, there's nothing in the Bible that that tells me Ron Ruby took my pew uh, because he was hostile and angry and mad at me. Nothing tells me that in the Bible. So therefore, if it falls outside this, this law, this area of judgment, then I have no business judging. So if that is the case, then any judgment outside of that, I don't have the omniscience, I don't have the power to judge. What does God say that he has given us to make up for this lack? Don't miss it. This is what he's given us. He said that you and I have the royal love. Royal law. That we love one another. You remember what Paul said? Let your love abound more and more in judgment. So, Ron Ruby's sitting in my seat. You know what helps me to handle it correctly and not judge his motives and his heart? is because I've been commanded to love. So what makes up for my lack of omniscience and knowing Brother Ron Ruby's heart? Love. Charity thinketh no evil. So where I don't know, where I don't have the omniscience and I don't have the power that God has, you know what I can have? Love. Love. And so James comes to a simple conclusion. Who are you and I to judge? You and I ought to practice not judgment, but love. Now, when it comes to things the Scriptures speak clearly of, we're to judge fruit, fruit inspectors. But we are to speak the truth in love. Spirit of humility and meekness. But when it falls outside what this Bible addresses, oh, my friend, God has given us something that that covers that type of judgment. It's called love. Oh, that you and I would take the heed, verses 11 and 12 of James chapter 4, and that we would be brothers and sisters in Christ who speak no evil and don't judge one another. May we be never found upon the bench of judgment that rightly belongs to God. Father, thank you for your word, these truths that you have borne out in this passage. And Father, I pray that you'd help us now as we go from this place, as we interact with one another and fellow believers, even in our own homes. That we would be the type of Christians that, Father, speak the truth in love. That our 
love abounds more and more in the judgments we make. And Father, may we conclude that our jurisdiction is very limited for us to judge one another. And Father, I am grateful that You are the great judge. Help us, Lord. May we be more focused on loving one another instead of judging. May love flow in this place, in this local family, this local assembly. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to guard our minds and our thoughts. May we not stand in judgment. My Father, may we yield to Your perfect Word. Thank You, Father, for the simple fact that You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. Lord, I am grateful that You make all things right. Bless now. Continue to work in our hearts, even in this invitation, Lord. That's bowed and eyes closed. I ask you to join me in standing. The piano begins to play. We'll just take a few moments. This piano plays. God has spoken. I would encourage you to spend some time with Him. Maybe the